Welcome to Amazing Applications, the podcast for Microsoft business apps makers who are building amazing applications that everyone will love. Welcome to the show. Hi, I'm your host, Neil Benson. Our goal on this show is to help you slash your project budgets, reduce your delivery timelines, mitigate technical risks, and create amazing, agile Microsoft Dynamics 365 and Power Platform applications. This week, we hosted our first virtual events for the new Agile Applications user group. Thanks to everyone who joined us for the first two sessions. One was held early in the morning here in Australia for our members in the Americas who could join us in their afternoon. And the second was held in the evening, here in Australia at least, for our members in EMEA and Asia Pacific who could join us in their mornings or afternoons. The registration process was pretty easy and my experiments with the tech using the Microsoft Community Teams tenant seemed to go well, but I did learn not to use animations in my slide deck when trying to use PowerPoint Live in Teams. Those animations don't seem to be working yet, and the slides just kept repeating over and over, so word of warning. Speaking of which, Teams webinar meetings have just landed in this tenant, hopefully in my own tenant as well. So perhaps we'll try that next time to see if it makes it even easier to register and send a follow-up to you after you join a session. You might already know that Microsoft has launched their public preview of their user group functionality for the Power Platform, Power BI, and Dynamics 365 communities. Microsoft's got some work to do to combine all those different product communities together into one single platform. But in the meantime, you can visit community.powerbi.com or community.dynamics.com or powerusers.microsoft.com. And you can navigate from there to the user groups page where you can explore all the user groups that are now available. And of course, there'll be links to all of those in our show notes. This episode is going to be customary.com slash 036. To get to the Agile Applications virtual user group, if you want to come and join us, I've got a shortcut. Visit customary.com slash Agile user group. That's the word customer with a Y on the end, dot com slash Agile user group. In our next live session, I've got an expert presenter on agile testing, so we can up our quality game when we're building business applications. Okay, that's all the good user group stuff that's been happening recently. Let's get back to this episode. My guest today built a power portal to support a million constituents booking their COVID test appointments, and his team did it in less than 100 hours, so you know, four days. He's Mohammed Mohsin Khalid, and he's the founder, CEO, and chief architect at Imperium Dynamics, a brand new Microsoft business apps partner that's already building an impressive track record in our ecosystem. Mossin is the recipient of a Fast Track Recognized Solution Architect Award, which is a recognition of the experience he's acquired from nearly 20 years building Dynamics 365 and Power Platform applications. His story of the COVID testing portal is a testament really to the amazing things we can do with the right team, the right platform, and as Mohsen points out, a simple architecture. It's a great story. Let's meet Mohsen. 
Mohsen, welcome to the Amazing Applications Show. I really appreciate you joining us. Thank you, Neil. It's a pleasure to be here. It's good to have you on the show. So always love talking to people about the amazing applications they build for Microsoft customers and just really excited to hear about your story. You were telling me backstage about an application you built in five days. We'll get into that one as well. But I wonder if you could just take a moment to introduce yourself, and then I've got a couple of introductory questions for you. All right. So, hello, everyone. My name is Mohammed Mohsen Khalid. I go by Mohsen or Mohammed, whichever one you prefer. I am currently the chief architect and founder of Imperium Dynamics. I lead the practice, uh, mainly focusing on Power Platform and Dynamics CRM applications. Great stuff. So a couple of nice introductory questions for you. Starting with, what did you have for breakfast this morning? I had my favorite breakfast for every day, which is a paratha, which is like a flat bread cooked in oil and an, a nice egg and cup of chai. Wow, that sounds great. Yeah. Nice healthy breakfast? Not that healthy. <laughs> <laughs> if it's fried in oil, maybe not. <laughs> yeah. I just uh, put olive oil on so to make it healthy. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. Tell us about the first job that you had and how you got that job. I got my first job right before I had even left my college. And it was with the second largest B2B uh, portal in the world at that point. So we were competing with Alibaba and I uh, built out a trade messaging platform for them. A nice way to start your career working in a huge... Yeah. Uh, B2B portal, good for you. Yeah, and they're still using the code. <laughs> oh, is that a good thing? <laughs> yeah, I'm proud of that. I would hate to think if anybody was relying on the code that I wrote whenever I first graduated. So, Well, pieces of it, of, sure, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and tell us about your, your current role. Imperium Dynamics, I believe, is a new startup for you. So congratulations on starting your own business. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Imperium Dynamics has not been around for a long, just started this year. I think we have an amazing start as I see it. We're focusing on mainly the Power Platform and Dynamics CRM applications. I founded it about two to three months ago and based on just the whole COVID situation that ramped up digital transformation and had us doing it in days like one of the projects we're going to discuss here. That initiative, what we're trying to do is actually fill the gap of practices and very well-versed uh, practices within the Power Platform and the, with the services that Microsoft Business Applications has to offer. That's great. I think it's, it's always amazing to see the people who are brave enough to start their own thing, grow it, train some new people, bring some new talent into our ecosystem, and then, you know, some of them get acquired. There's always lots of acquisitions going on in our industry as well. So good luck with Imperium Dynamics. I hope it really takes off and brings you a lot of success. Thank you. We invited you on to talk about one of your recent projects for a Microsoft customer building an amazing application. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about the customer, if you can, and some of the background into them. Yeah, the customer specifically, it was a COVID project. I want to put it out there. So not your normal implementation. So this might, the timelines or the situations that happened in this project might shock a lot of people. But yes, in COVID times, everything was new. So the customer itself was a state which has millions of people that are going to use the application, the Power Platform itself, for scheduling tests. 
as soon as COVID hit. That's oh, wow. kind of the background I'll give you from that. Okay. So you're trying to schedule all the COVID tests for people to be able to come in without waiting too long in line. They can come in at their scheduled time and take their test. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the state tried to build an in-house thing in two days with custom.net application, realized that it's not going to work because a million or more people are going to try to get an appointment for a test. And this is April, very start when the lockdown wasn't even in place. So right. very new, everyone just going in panic mode on how they're going to support their citizens. So this state approached Microsoft, wanted to see if Power Platform could help them out. Okay. Were they already a Power Platform or Dynamics 365 customer? Did they have a lot of experience with Microsoft business applications within the state's IT department? No, they were not, but they were an Azure customer. Okay. Yep. All right. Well, at least they weren't a Salesforce customer. That's a good thing. So, so you got a call to say, come and build us a scheduling application to schedule appointments for thousands or hundreds of thousands of citizens. How long did you have to build the application? We got a, a call from Microsoft Thursday. And uh, Friday, we had a meeting with the internal team on what we can propose on this sort of request. But the customer came in and wanted the solution Monday night. So we basically had, I, I, I don't even say days anymore. I count hours, <laughs> yeah, like less than 100 hours <laughs> till Monday to get something, you know, the, an absolute MVP that is scalable and that can support features as the pandemic progresses. But key criteria, it has to be scalable has to be there on Monday night for people to start scheduling things on Tuesday. So I've had sales teams come along and say, hey, Neil, can you build a, a demonstration application for us? We've got a meeting on Wednesday, right? So you've got two mm -hmm. days to scramble and build an application, <laughs> but yours went into production. Is that Absolutely. right? Absolutely. On Monday after really a, a one weekend of development. Yes, absolutely. Because it was that situation and we realized that it's going to be above a million people that are actually going to be impacted on whether this works really well or it works really bad. Right? It's going to actually impact lives. So we put together a team of 30 people and I led the architecture myself to make sure each line or each service that we are going for is absolutely needed and nothing is an overkill in the application. I think what led it to a successful go-life was the approach of making sure that we are keeping it bare bones and not including things that will either delay or make the process of adoption and go-life more complex and will require more training. The first proposed idea for uh, resource scheduling, you know, the Dynamics Unified Resource Scheduling was yeah. shut down by myself. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know, like that's just a training nightmare. Just to give you some more background before I go into that, what the state planned was that they were going to convert the DMV sites in the US or probably in Australia as well. You have these test emission sites for testing car emissions, right? right. Vehicle emissions. And uh, they have four or five lanes. Every state has multiple of them. So they were going to convert those vehicle emission testing sites 
into COVID testing sites. Right. So a solution which would have people supporting on ground using some sort of applications to va- uh, validate when people come in and then be just open to the public for this scheduling piece of it, like a website or a portal. That was the kind of need. So in, instead of driving up and they stick something into your tailpipe, you drive up and they stick something into your nostril instead. And <laughs> it's a great and idea. you stay in your car, you <laughs> yeah. don't get out, nothing happens. Yep. Right. They've got all the infrastructure, all the lanes are there, there's, there's stations at each, on each mm-hmm. lane. Yeah, good idea. And, and I think that's uh, probably the first time in my career I worked for like straight 36 hours as well. Yeah. <laughs> no sleep, but yeah, that, that was the need of the time. And yeah, that's when I chose Power Platform, Pure Power Platform Services for it. We were like, okay, Power Apps Portal could do this thing. And I don't know if you have interacted much with the healthcare accelerator that Microsoft had. It's deprecated now because of Microsoft Health Cloud. But last year, the Dynamics Healthcare Accelerator was available on Power Platform. So you could install it just bare bones with healthcare entities and support a healthcare scenario like a patient, a physician, that kind of thing. So pick that up and took that solution stack forward to establish a test scheduling mechanism for people with the Power Portal in play. Okay, so I'm interested to go back to one of your previous comments about the resource scheduling capability that's built in there. It's was mm-hmm. part of field service originally. To me, that seems like a pretty close fit to this kind of mm-hmm. challenge. But I really love your focus on keeping it as simple as possible. Right? You've got to scale this thing super quickly. The usability needs have got to be extremely straightforward for an average citizen to be able to schedule their appointment. Tell me a little bit more about that decision about why not use some of the inbuilt scheduling functionality. It sounds like you built a slightly custom scheduling feature on top of the healthcare accelerator and power portals. Absolutely. Yep. Yes, that is what we did. And I think a bit of the decision was surely around the training aspect of the administrators that actually have to interact and create test appointments, right? And that have never interacted with the Dynamics application or configured one and how to put out resources. That resource scheduling piece had that training issue, but it was also very bulky with regards to features, right? Like you did not need to schedule a worker to do X, Y, Z and manage resources. The only resource we actually had to manage in this aspect was the test itself. If you see it that way, the criteria or the restriction or the limitation of resources was on the product, not the resource itself. So that's where we kind of, and very interestingly, that sort of how we approached the idea of providing the administrators of the state the ability to schedule just enough appointments or make just enough appointments with regards to the kits that they would have and they were expecting, actually made them take it live on Monday night. There was a go, no go, and they were going to see it for the first time in the go, no go kind of call. Yeah. (laughs) That's high stakes stuff. It really is. Very high stakes stuff. The first version that you put into production on that Monday night, I presume Mm -hmm. you're still making changes in production after that wasn't the final version, was it? 
Yeah, so we made changes. I wouldn't say a lot of changes, but we did make uh, more changes around just making it the portal a bit more crisp, user-friendly, those sort of changes. But the underlying framework that remained the same, the actual algorithm for scheduling and creating those uh, appointment slots remained the same. But we did push out five or six releases after that. Yeah, and I'm I'm fascinated by why trying to coordinate a project to go that fast with 30 people on board, maybe mm-hmm. two or three people designing the application and 27 people to figure out the licensing. <laughs> what, were, <laughs> what were they all doing? In fact, it was actually the design, build, test, and UAT were going on continuously. We had a whole Teams chat going that was on fire, I would say. <laughs> I have never done something so quickly, but it has uh, actually been a very strong team effort as well. The whole team being invested in the goal was, I think, the key part of success for it, because I'm just telling you right now, and like also listening to myself, it does sound like a recipe for disaster, right? But it <laughs> yes. all worked out because we all had that goal in mind to make someone's life easier for scheduling and it was the need of the time we like just to give you an overview how it was going on we had like two architects me and one from the solution side richard clark clark he was part of the team as well designing and releasing actual requirement level features for development teams to be building them and then another set of functional team working with the main administration level of the customer, reviewing them, and then in a separate team, actually stress testing the application with regards to security and scalability, because you know, we, we can't forget doing all of this functionality. We have to make it scalable for a million people to be using. Yeah. Licensing was my big, bigger concern. And yeah, Microsoft was involved. They were champs in it by supporting it. And then just the backend DTU servers were upgraded for their production. And before that, I didn't even get to know so much about what Microsoft does for a production environment. But yeah, we had a very strong team with us with regards to PowerCat as well, reviewing the code and also making sure that the licensing or any API throttling limits uh, because they have these service protection and in, and the entitlement API limits involved at every call now. They don't come in the way for someone's right. appointment. So some people from Microsoft dragged into the office over the weekend to make sure yep. that and the licensing and everything else is put in place and, and the scalability, right? We are so fortunate these days to be able to rely on the Microsoft Cloud to take care mm-hmm. of scalability. But I imagine that scalability is normally something Microsoft predicts over months of adoption and usage, right? They can see users slowly joining an environment, beginning to consume an application. Here you've got minutes or hours to, you know, to s- scale up. And you, you have to rely on a few phone calls to Microsoft rather than just their normal telemetry. Yep, absolutely. Because the normal pattern is definitely the resource scaling happens as people use the application. And it goes both ways. Uh, you know, it, they scale it up or also scale it down if not a lot of people are actually using the environment. But in this case, we had we didn't have that time. So it had to support million plus day one. 
Were there any wrinkles in there? Did you hit any challenges in terms of scalability or performance that, that were noticeable to the citizens in the state? No, not after go live. Previ- before go live, I think on Sunday, we ran into some scalability issues. And that's when we had to get the server itself upgraded to a right. higher end DTU. That's pretty impressive, though, that you've managed to hit production in, in a couple of days and have no wrinkles since then. Well done happy we could help people out. Using Microsoft portals, was there an authentication requirement here? Were these users authenticating with a Microsoft account in order to identify themselves? Or were they creating an account during the process of registering for an appointment? They were considered anonymous users and they were creating their account, like registering with just entering their contact information and then scheduling. So they were not really authenticating or becoming an external or internal user of the portal. Does that not present a challenge then if they need to come back and modify or cancel an appointment? Could they do that if they're not being authenticated? We had, I I don't think I can talk a lot about it because it's still in play, but we had a GUID-based identification mechanism designed within the texts and notification links that they would receive of their appointments. Right. Okay, I've, I've seen that approach used, for example. A really simple one is whenever you go to unsubscribe from a, an email list, sometimes okay. you click on the unsubscribe and they say, oh, please log in to amend your subscription preferences. You're like, oh, what? Other times, <laughs> the link that they give you to click on, right. it's got an identifier embedded within it, and they automatically know who you are and what the action is you want to take, which is to unsubscribe, and, and it's done. So it sounds like you were taking a similar kind of approach. Yep, you could say that. The Healthcare Accelerator, I took a look at it for a healthcare organization here in Australia. It seemed to me a little Mm -hmm. bit US-centric, which is understandable. There's a lot in there about insurance and payers and stuff that only exists in America. What benefits Mm -hmm. did it provide in this scenario? What kind of building blocks do you get from that Healthcare Accelerator that means you didn't have to build something yourself? Fortunately, I was part of the development team of the Healthcare Accelerator. I was working at Mazik, the known healthcare partner at the time. And Microsoft approached us to actually create the healthcare accelerator. Like Microsoft does ask a lot of ISWIS development partners to create accelerator solutions. So I was part of the development team that actually built the healthcare accelerator. So knew a lot of insights of it, as well as I knew how lightweight just the data structure model could be helpful in this case. The healthcare accelerator itself doesn't really do business logic, right? What it does really well is it provides you a FHIR-based data structure for healthcare entities. For those who are not familiar with FHIR, it's the healthcare standard for exchanging data and keeping healthcare data, which is FHIR data, patient healthcare information, into digital format. So that's like the defined and agreed upon standard for a data structure. So healthcare accelerator follows that. And if you have an application using that standard, the moment you want to interact with any other system in the US at least that is following the healthcare standards, you're going to not have a bigger problem because you're going to be using the same kind of terminology, same sort of way to keep your data structured. So that's what the healthcare accelerator provided. Right. And there's no requirement for a Dynamics 365 application underneath. You can just deploy that straight on top of a, I don't know what the right word is, a a naked Dataverse environment? 
great question. So the first release of Healthcare Accelerator did have a requirement on almost all the Dynamics applications, but it was stripped down as Microsoft is promoting more the Power Platform and the Dataverse piece. So it was stripped down to just run off of Dataverse. And that's what made it a perfect fit for, you know, a lean and clean system. I've looked at yeah. some of the accelerators and some of them have two versions. One where you need to take a dependency on Dynamics 365 sales or service. And then another one which you can install on a, on a clean Dataverse environment. It's a great option. I, I really, it might, must make it more difficult to maintain, but it's a great option that Microsoft has provided the, um, the ecosystem. What was the reaction like from the state's uh, IT team on, on Monday whenever they saw the application for the first time? <laughs> the IT team was pretty well versed in Azure, right? So I think they, they definitely loved the fact that they could just use Azure security groups to share the Canvas applications because their main worry was how would they share the Canvas application or have people access those applications who are on ground at the site because mainly those from our end or the state's end, the people who are going to be the heavy consumers of the application would be the ones who are checking people in while they sit in the car with a QR code. So we provided this QR code functionality where a Canvas application is scanning the QR code and the appointment is being identified. The IT team took it pretty well. So we did run them through the deployment and do it for them for the first release. There weren't really uh, a lot of challenges there, but I think their main concern was solved by how Azure does interact with Microsoft business applications and they're not like two separate worlds and the identity is the same and stuff. So that was good news for them. The citizen turning up for the appointment is given a QR code that they display on their device. And then the healthcare worker has got a QR code scanner and they can identify the the patient and the appointment in their car whenever they turn up at the test center. Is that right? Yeah. So the Canvas application, the base application, they were running it. Each healthcare worker, they did not, state did not have funds or the resources to have custom devices. So everyone's on mobile application. Uh, We just provided a guidance to install the Power App and open up the Power App on their phone and use their phone's camera to scan the QR code while in the application. And then the application would read their appointment and bring the person's information in for them to check them. Cool. Uh, Isn't that amazing that so the, yeah. the Power Apps player on, on works on almost every mobile device, and, and Microsoft's mm-hmm. tested a lot of them, but you don't have to worry as an application developer. You don't have to worry about screen sizes or resolutions or form factors. You've you got to trust that it's going to work on 95% of these healthcare workers' devices, over which you've got no control. You don't know which manufacturer or operating system it's running on. Yeah, it all absolutely. Works. And just that it works on the browser as well. So a lot of the... Workers did not even install the Power App on the App Store. They just used it on the browser. Okay. And yeah. you can still get access to the camera and things? Through... Yeah. All right, I didn't know that. I thought to get access to the hardware, you had to use an installed application. Cool. No Windows Phone users or BlackBerry users or anything <laughs> you ran into? Not, not that I'm aware of. But we had minimal challenges with the Canvas app that went very smoothly. The, the maximum challenge was we had was with some users who 
did not really want to use a digital device to check people in. They brought everyone in, whoever could contribute to actually carry this humongous activity out for the whole yeah. state. So not everyone, we, we should realize that not everyone is, is digital, you know, or using phones to interact with right. all sorts of scenarios. So that's where we had some challenges or the state had some challenges, I think, to bring in those people on board, give them devices, give them a few days of training that, yep, you have to do it digitally. You can't just write their name on a paper and pass it on. No, it's not going to work. <laughs> it's definitely yeah. not going to work at that kind of scale. So yeah. once the patients come in, they've they've had their test. The test results are not coming back into this Power App environment. I presume you're sending the patient's contact information through to a different application that the state has for conducting the testing and getting the results back to the citizen. Is that right? Yeah. So in the first go live, we did not have any relationship with what happens after the test is done. Because uh, once the test is done, they have a different uh, mechanism to send it to the lab. But in the second release, we provided an integration with a blockchain identity provider, which actually enabled them to validate identity and then receive test results back to the same identity through a blockchain verification mechanism. It was a pretty kind of complex scenario, but on the very high level of it, we would send the, once the test is done, we would send information to the blockchain identity provider. And then from then on, that identity provider would interact with the patient and then send them the results from the lab. Mosa, you're the architect who likes to keep things simple. Had you done a blockchain integration before? Is this something you'd got experience in? Or did it just seem like a nice, simple way of handling the verification of, of patient data? So first, <laughs> it was the state's pick. But secondly, the integration part, it was a very simple REST-based uh, API service for us to call. Okay. So no complexity added on the solution itself. And then the, the complex part was within their own identity verification mechanism, which they're pretty famous for doing. So the state trusted them and they carried out that whole scenario for people. But yeah, not no integration complexity there. So what lessons can you learn from this kind of project that you're going to be taking into future projects? I think the biggest lesson right off the bat that I learned is that now a lot more is possible with regards to the speed of delivery. And we don't necessarily have to think of digital transformation as a five to six month or a year to two year activity to take on and then reap the rewards of, right? Right. With Power Platform, a lot of stuff not just is provided to you by Microsoft, but a lot of stuff within the platform is available to adopt quickly and then change or develop over. So the whole solution layering and stacking mechanism Microsoft has given that you can adopt Dataverse by itself as well. You can take on applications, not with regards to just licensing piece of it, but also the solutioning piece of it that you can take on applications separately. Like first, for example, in that in this case, I'm saying you can just adopt customer service, then go for the sales module, then go for field service. Previously, you would get 
a customer engagement license you would be paying yeah. for the whole thing so those sort of barriers and uh, questions have been answered all in all what this is combining to do is enabling rapid data transformation for people so for this test scheduling we, we could went with a solution that worked in 5 days but for an organization's own business tra- transformation and getting on the cloud they do not have to plan very far off they can reap the rewards quickly month to month and start with mvp because the technology stack makes it possible you're not going to be delivering all of your future projects in 48 hours are you hopefully not <laughs> but it's, yeah, if you uh, need one, I'm the guy. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. Well, and, and you got some recognition for this project as well. I believe that you recently received the Microsoft Fast Track Solution Architect Award. Is that right? Yeah. Yes, I was privileged enough to work on this project, and because I worked with the Microsoft PowerCat team heavily, they honored me with this award. And it is for the Power Platform itself. Congratulations. Yep. Thank you. And working with the PowerCat team, is that a team you're working with alongside FastTrack in this project or is it just PowerCat in this case? Because I think FastTrack is normally just on Dynamics 365 projects rather than Power Platform, is that right? Yeah, so I I think there's some changes going on within Microsoft and those lines are getting blurry as we right. go on, right? Not one area or department or team was involved in this. PowerCat was involved, the Microsoft product team was involved. and fast track did come into play for a few things because this was just customer success all across customer success was everyone's goal well it's an amazing feat just to assemble a team of 30 people in a space Absolutely. of a few hours on a friday afternoon find out who's available who's got capacity who's got the skills who's ready to spend all weekend on coffee with no sleep yeah it's yeah it's no we didn't incredible. keep everyone up nearly we're not that <laughs> not, that not all 30 people were up the whole weekend. And in the future releases, you talked about second releases and so on. Was mm-hmm. that in a few days as well, or did you have a few weeks to improve the application after that initial deployment? We didn't have, I think, more than a week gap in a release. Like every release was within a, a week because, yeah, because it had to support all the oncoming requests by the state, as well as customer feedback. user feedback or if any there was any issues in the application one of the challenges you must have had when you mm-hmm. start a project that quickly is you don't even get time to consider what your approach is going to be communicate that approach maybe train everybody on it make sure azure devops is in place for managing requirements and get your alm story straight mm-hmm. you're probably just diving straight into it you're just working on instinct if you're having to start a project that quickly looking back on it now any really helpful tips or alternatively anything that didn't go so well that you would fix in future absolutely so i did have a few lessons that i i take forward still one key area that i see that was kind of the success factor in this like you mentioned we definitely did not have time for devops ALM or re-reviewing a lot of the requirements coming in. So the key success factor again was the simplistic approach to keep it very lean and very simple and make an MVP an actual MVP 
right? So not have any functionality sitting out there that's not going to be used, only have functionality there that is going to be used. So it was that made it easy for us to keep it manageable, right? Yeah. And that's something I take forward from it as well. Because a lot of times I've worked in the, I don't know if you know, I've worked in the ERP side of things as well for Dynamics uh, for seven years. I've done that. And a lot of times we are over selling or over deploying the application as well. And it's a, I think it's a Gartner statistic as well. Like usually 30% of functionality is used by a customer. Wow. Right? Correct me if I'm wrong. I thought so, you were going to say 30% is never used. No, you think only yeah, 30% is used. Absolutely. So what Dynamics applications even deliver, there's a ton of features that no one even touches or goes there, right? But they're deployed, they're sitting in the solution. They have one or two features being actually used from multiple applications. So that I think that approach is not going to work as we go for more rapid deployments and customers also are now realizing that the timelines are reduced, they do want to see quick results. So that sort of approach is not going to work for when you're trying to deliver an MVP. So you have to track carefully on the architecture side yeah. and know what you're deploying and exactly what is going to be used. And then I think the other side of the lessons learned would definitely be that in order to do something like this specifically, right, you need the right people available, like you were mentioning. <laughs> so we fortunately, we had PowerCat available on the line, on call, and we, we had a pool of resources that were very passionate about this and volunteered their weekend to come in and help out. But without that team, you can't really do this sort of activity. So team, you will have to count on for success in a project. I've got a kind of a philosophical question for you. The United States has got 50 states and districts, all had a similar requirement at around the same time to build a similar kind of application. In Australia, we have seven states and territories, and I've seen time and again, the same states have got overlapping requirements for an application, whether it's for managing COVID appointments or court appointments or real estate transactions or something that just gets repeated over and over. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, do you think this would have worked if it had been a federal project and you were going to roll out an application across all 50 states and districts of the US? Or did it only work because it was limited to a single state? It actually did roll out to other states after oh. they saw the success because they were in trouble with everyone was trying to do their own thing yeah. and try to use what they have or build something in-house, but not everyone succeeded. And one of the U.S. states failed really bad with another solution that was also on Power Platform, but it had actually used the USR approach. Okay. So not taking the name of the state, but yeah, they did have a failure on the same kind of platform, but just the approach maybe made a big difference. And then we did end up deploying it to multiple states and to other countries as well, to cities in other countries as well, the counties. It, it did work for multiple scenarios because, again, I bring it back to the same point, because it was very lean with just this absolute basic process that was there. 
any flavor that someone wanted here and there could be easily added. That's fantastic. Well, con- congratulations on its um, rapid adoption worldwide. Ed. Mohsen, thanks very much for joining us and sharing your story. Is there anything else you'd want to mention? And how can people follow you and find out more about your work if they'd like to do that? Yeah, thank you for having me, Neil. So people can follow me on uh, Twitter, Mohsen Khalid AX is my handle. Or other than that, they can come to the Imperium Dynamics website and review what sort of services we have and the team I've built around me. And uh, we're definitely focusing on the same sort of approach, building on the power platform with the right skill in place to deliver data transformation in a rapid manner. I wish you every success with your new venture. Good luck with that. And thanks again for joining us. Thank you, Neil. It was great to be here. Thanks, Mohsen, for sharing that story about a COVID testing appointment booking portal that you built for one of the US states. I booked my own COVID vaccination appointment with Queensland Health yesterday. So Queensland is my uh, local state here in Australia. Guess what? They're using power portals too. Perhaps that's no surprise to you. In fact, we probably shouldn't be surprised if their design pattern was similar to the one that you designed for your state government in the US. We've got lots more great interviews lined up with more Microsoft customers and partners building amazing applications. If you know someone who you think should be telling their story and sharing it with us, send me a LinkedIn message and let me know or have them visit customary.com slash guest. You'll find show notes for this episode at customary.com slash 036. Please remember to follow the Amazing Apps podcast in your podcast player so you don't miss those episodes we've got coming up. I really appreciate you letting me into your ears and I hope you find value, ideas and inspiration in every episode. Thanks for listening. Until next time, keep sprinting.